Hello and welcome to this edition of Mountain Talk Monday. I am your host, Kelly Haywood, and today in the studio I am here with Dr. Dustin Anderson, who is the veterinarian at the Animal Wellness Center in downtown Pikeville, Kentucky. Hello, Dr. Anderson. Hello, Kelly. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's always a pleasure, and you've been on our show before, but today you're here to talk about taking care of your pets in winter conditions. Sounds a little crazy right now, but I think the cold weather's on the way, so need to be prepared. And I think it is a good idea also just to talk about having an outdoor pet in general, too, because I know there are different considerations for outdoor pets. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. The outdoor dogs and cats, I mean, they are a little more suited to handle the cold weathers, but at the same time, when cold snaps come in and it's going to be extremely cold on those guys, they need protection too. They can't tolerate zero degrees weather like people think. It's a common myth that outdoor cats can tolerate cold weather better than humans can, that they get cold just as well as humans do. Oh, really? So just to the degree that we would? Absolutely. They do have an extra layer of insulation. I mean, their their fur does help, but at the same time, I mean, if it's 20 degrees out and you have on just one shirt yourself, you're still going to be pretty cold with that. They need to have housing and bedding to keep them warm just like any other animal would. Okay, so what kind of housing and bedding are we talking about? Well, I mean, for cats, if you have a bunch of feral cats, you can throw stuff together pretty simple for those guys. And feral just meaning if you're trying to help cats that aren't very friendly to humans. You could take a Tupperware tub, a old styrofoam cooler, cut holes in it, put quilts, blankets. Obviously, you'd want to put it somewhere that's going to stay somewhat dry. Just anything that will be big enough for them to stretch out in, but at the same time, it needs to be small enough to hold their own body heat in. For outdoor dogs, depends on the dog. I mean, huskies, they absolutely love the cold weather, and they'll probably sleep right in the snow. But when you have coon hounds or Labradors outside, you definitely want something that they can get back in away from the cold, away from the wind, away from the rain. If they're down on the ground, the ground's going to pull a lot of heat out of the bottom of it. Same thing if they're up off the ground. If they're on a wooden platform, the wind blowing underneath that's going to suck the heat right off the bottom of their bedding. So. You want something inside their bedding, their house that's, you know, you don't want it to be a lot of fumes. A lot of people try to use pine shavings and cedar chips. That can be pretty harsh on their lungs. You can imagine stuff in your own pillowcase full of cedar chips. It's going to be a long night's sleep if you have to inhale that all night. So my recommendation, if you can, old blankets, old towels, those are the best, but you need to check them every day and make sure they're staying dry. If the lot or the outside is muddy and they're packing mud and water in on those, they need to be washed and dried. I'm not a fan of cedar chips because of that very reason. Straw works, but I have seen a lot of outdoor dogs end up with really bad skin problems from the straw. And dogs have allergies to hay too, so any of those real dusty straws, you want to get rid of that stuff. My best opinion would probably be just a good quality low dust hay, like a Timothy hay. 
it holds heat well it doesn't break up into little dust particles like straw it does have a lot of pollen in it but it's not got as much dust that the straw has in it so if you're looking for something like I said use a, a long stem fresh grass hay my stepdad and my brother they keep coon hounds and mm -hmm. they're on wooden platforms up off the ground most of the time but they get out and run every day and I remember one winter he had an older female who had puppies and it was in the middle of winter she had a wooden dog house and he did the blankets and things like that for her and the puppies but he he covered it with a tarp and then put a heating lamp close in so that she could just push the door open on the tarp he cut a slit in there but yeah. then it would cover up the entry and that's a good idea i mean anything to just help hold in that heat heat lamps are a good idea but you have to be very cautious depending on the pet if they're real bad to chew on stuff and they reach up and get a hold of that cord. I mean, that's an obvious issue. Sometimes I have heard of dogs actually breaking the lamp. They'll bust that lamp inside of their bedding. So just be cautious. Heating pads are a great option. You can buy them on Amazon, 30 to $75 that are designed to go outside. Oh. And you just plug them in. Obviously the extension cord's an issue, but you plug them in and put them up under their bed and most of them just get up to body temperature. They're not like a human heating pad. I don't like those at all. If you put a human heating pad on high, it's enough to actually burn their skin. So you want something that gets up to body temperature that's you know, water resistant for shock reasons. But yes, any, any type of electrical plug-in stuff works great. Heating lamps work, just be cautious on the dog that you're using it with. Okay, and if you use the hay bedding, is there a risk of fire with a heating lamp? So yes, now hay is going to be a less of an issue than straw. Okay. Uh, hay has a lot more moisture content to it, but it does burn also. And wood chips are the same thing. I mean, any type of ember or dust, cedar chips has a lot of dust, pine chips have a lot of dust in the bottom. That's what you want to limit for the obvious fire hazard but again even for their lungs you don't want them inhaling that stuff so it all depends on the dog some dogs will tear up anything you put in there with them and there are they call them tear resistant or uh, chew proof beds available for those guys but they will destroy them some of them actually give you like a 120 day guarantee that your dog will not destroy it for 120 days so Look for something like that. Uh, and again, it's dog specific. Some dogs do great on just cotton beds. They don't want to tear them up. They leave them alone. So it's dog specific. Yeah, I've got a beagle now and mostly all she does is lay around. But my Dalmatian, he tore up everything, including the couch and the love seat. So yes. <laughs> it definitely depends on the dog. Well, I want to ask, I knew a woman and it's been a while ago and she had a chihuahua. And one winter, it had snowed maybe a couple of feet, and she let it out to use the bathroom, and she didn't go out with it. And it had been a little bit, and it hadn't come back, and when she found it, it was frozen to death. She felt like it was pretty fast to have happened within the time that she felt it was outside. What are we looking at? So big things, again, it depends on the dog. Obviously, a smaller dog does not have the 
body mass to maintain its its temperature as well as a bigger dog. The length of the fur, again, Huskies and Great Pyrenees, those guys love the outdoor weather, the snow. So basically, treat it like a child. Child that goes outside without a coat on, uh, especially if they get out in the snow when they get wet, the wetness from the snow, the ice, and then you have to, to factor in that wind chill, it doesn't take long. I mean, you're talking, if you're wet and you step out into 20 degree temperatures with wind, five minutes and you can go into hypothermia. Dogs and cats are no different. Short-legged dogs, the little chihuahuas, the basset hounds, corgis, when their bellies are rubbing through the snow and uh, the wet grass, I mean, that's going to increase their chances of getting hypothermia and frostbite. Dog paws are tough, but when you put ice on them and you're sucking that heat out, it doesn't take long for them to get frostbite either. If a dog is strictly indoors, you need to go out with it on a leash or you need to stand at that door and watch it. And as soon as it's ready to come back in, you need to give it that option to come back in. They will know on their own also how much they can tolerate. And same thing with the little chihuahuas. If they don't want to go outside because there's six inches of snow, you don't need to throw them out in that snow. You need to give them another option to relieve themselves, whether it's on the deck or on the porch or the pavement. Even if they're inside, put newspapers down. Give them that option because they know their bodies better than we do. Yeah, so if they seem resistant, trust their instinct to be resistant. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do not just throw them out and think they're being spiteful. Dogs are not spiteful. They have reasons for what they do also. And I do not recommend you just throw them out and tell them to use the bathroom. If they don't want to go, you need to give them a different option. I think that's one of the things that we don't think about when we choose to keep a pet sometimes we have to make special arrangements and accommodations for that pet just like we would a child. It's not that a pet is easier really than a child. I've learned that lesson (laughs) very well. That's a huge myth. I mean, you know, there are some dogs that tolerate it well, but man has bred these guys and we are not breeding for survival. We are breeding for breed characteristics. And Chihuahuas are not designed to live outdoors by themselves. They're designed to live with man's help. So keep that in mind when you get them. They're not just dogs anymore. There are some that can tolerate it. But when you buy a specific breed, they are not all bred for survival. Keep that in mind. You mentioned earlier, just a second ago, frostbite. So if we have a dog or a cat, or if we find a dog or a cat outside that we think needs our help, how can we tell if they're experiencing frostbite? Same thing in humans. If they are acting painful in the area, if their feet are covered in ice, you need to watch for frostbite signs. They will have dark discolorations to the skin. You may even see the skin slough off, bleeding, oozing, cracking, no different than a human basically kills the skin that's what frostbite does so if you find a dog that's been outside pick its paws up make sure they look healthy if they look chapped if they look like there's a lot of discoloration or hair loss you need to have it seen by a veterinarian 
Okay, and if we do find a dog whose paws are covered in ice, what's the best way to get the ice off the paws? First thing, you want to take it indoors and let it slowly come off. It will be painful. Heat it up. You can wrap it in a warm cloth. I wouldn't advise putting their feet in warm water because that extreme change in temperature could be painful for them. Get them indoors and wrap them in a warm cloth or getting them indoors and just let them take care of it. They will get the ice off their self. I'm wondering, you know, sometimes we notice that our dogs are in pain or even our cats. And I've heard of people giving their dogs like a regular human Tylenol to help with what they are feeling is pain. Is that okay to do? I would not recommend giving them anything, nothing, without talking to your veterinarian first. A lot of human medications can be used safely in pets. Tylenol, you can use Tylenol in dogs. One human strength Tylenol can kill a cat. Aspirin, you can use aspirin. If the pet is healthy, but aspirin comes with the same side effects in pets as it does in humans. Gastric ulcers, if they have liver problems and you give them something in the NSAID family, you can put them into liver failure. I would not advise giving anything. And the other thing is, you're not sure if it's truly pain or if it's some sort of organ that malfunctions. So I wouldn't give them anything until you talk to your veterinarian. Can the nose experience frostbite, and is it the same kind of situation as the paws? It can. It can. Anything that's moist, the lips, if they urinate on their self, anything that can drop that part of the body to below freezing, that's, that's where frostbite occurs. So the nose can. You can get chapped noses in pets just like you can get chapped lips in humans. As far as treating that, you want to, again, go back to the, the principle. You don't want to take dogs out for long walks if it's below freezing. Shorten your walks. When they're ready to come back inside, take them inside. They know their bodies better than we do, Kelly. Let's talk a minute about food and water for outdoor animals in the winter. I know my stepdad, when he fed his coonhounds, and he treats them like babies. They're real special and great dogs. But he tended to warm up the water almost a hot and put it on dry food to take it out to them to eat as a way to help them keep warm. Are things like that effective or like when their water freezes up, how do we need to handle things like that? So you definitely need to wash the water. Absolutely, you need to check their water two to three times a day if they're outdoors and it's below freezing. You can buy water bowls that prevent it from freezing but still you need to check it because if a fuse breaks, if uh, the, uh, something does happen that shortens it, they can malfunction. So you still need to check them, but the water bowls help. As far as feeding them, dry food is fine. Do you have to add water to it? No. Be cautious. Again, if they're used to staying outside and it's 40 degrees and you take a hot bowl out there, that change in temperature, that can make them not want to eat. And then if you leave it sitting out there for a while, it's going to freeze. There's nothing wrong with adding water to it, but do you have to do that? No, as long as you're providing them fresh water. I'd heard before that you really don't have to give them water when it snows because they'll eat snow if they're thirsty. <laughs> Is so, that true? 
Well, I mean, they, they will eat it if they get thirsty enough, but at the same time, you want to make sure you're offering them just plain water because, again, the freezing. If you try to eat a lot of snow, it's going to give you brain freeze sort of deal. I would still just offer them water, but yeah, I'm sure they would eat snow if they had to, but I would assume they would prefer water over snow. I guess we should think of it as the snow doesn't mean we have a day off from tending our pets because they'll, <laughs> they'll figure it Absolutely. out. It's, They're no different than children. On a yeah. snow day, you've got to work harder when your children are home. So Yeah, we're on overtime. That's then. it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about keeping our pets entertained on snow days. I know when I had my Dalmatian, he was an indoor dog, and he was very active. And if he didn't get his walks and he didn't get to run freely at least a few times every day. He had more of a tendency to tear things up in the house or to get really antsy. So how do we help our pets get exercise or get the amount of activity they're used to when we can't necessarily be outdoors? That's a good question. Absolutely a lot of toys, balls, no different than children. They can play in the house too. They just can't play as hard. Uh, you can take them on, if they're used to going outside, you can take them on shorter, more frequent walks. If there's three feet of snow outside, I mean, a porch is fine. If you can shovel them off part of the driveway, any type of indoor toys, any type of games, you can buy puzzles, food puzzles, treat puzzles. You hide a treat in a puzzle and make them work to get it. I think about it because I have three daughters, and when they can't go outside and they're finished with their toys, Sometimes it's just every woman for herself yeah, <laughs> in our yeah, house. That's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Dog, I'm sure, I mean, dogs will probably calm down quicker, but high energetic dogs, I mean, when you're talking about Dalmatians, yeah, those guys like to run. And it's difficult when you can't get them outside for that. You know, you see these dogs online on treadmills. I'd be cautious with stuff like that. I mean, if you do put them on a treadmill, there's nothing wrong with that. They work don't tie them to the treadmill and obviously you need to sit right there with them while they're doing that but as far as getting rid of some of that excess energy there's no good way to do that except letting them go outside and you need to be with them you do need to be with them you go into like petco or a place like that and you see all these raincoats and sweaters and hats and now i'm even seeing shoes and little socks and rain boots and things like that. I know my Dalmatian, he, we bought him a shirt one time and he'd wear it, but he wasn't happy to put it on. Do those things, are they worth the money? Do they really help when you're going outside? Yes, they do. They absolutely do. But again, it's, it's dog specific. Some dogs will tolerate the boots fine. Coats, anytime you have a little short-haired dog like a Dalmatian, again, he's a bigger dog, so he's got a little bit more body mass there to produce heat. But when you're talking about a two, three pound Yorkie or Chihuahua, those little guys can't fight the cold off. You can buy multiple layers. The raincoats work to keep the wind and the actual rain off of them. The boots, again, it's that's what's come in contact with the, the, the ground. So if you keep their feet dry and warm, they're not going to lose as much heat and dogs actually dissipate heat through their paw pads and through their ears they don't sweat like humans do to get rid of heat 
the boots work. I'm a big fan of that stuff for the little guys, even the big guys. If you've got an older Labrador and he will tolerate a coat, put a coat on him. I would much rather them be a little bit warmer on cold days than that all get any type of frostbite or hypothermia from it. So we may want to change the way we view things like that. I know I'd always seen them as just like a costume or something frivolous to buy that really served no function. So I guess they do then. They absolutely do. I mean, even the reflectors, I've seen a lot of them uh, like bright orange during hunting season. If you've got a dog that has access to the woods and you're not around, that bright orange will pay off for them. They make reflectors built into a lot of those coats, so if they do get loose and run out into the road, a headlight will reflect off of them. It's more than just costumes anymore. Uh, even the raincoats, it serves the same principle to keep them from getting cold in the rain outside. Again, man has bred these guys to not tolerate outdoors like wolves and foxes and coyotes. Just because they're dogs doesn't mean they're built to stay outside anymore. I definitely remember that my Dalmatian, he would shed 24-7, and my Beagle, surprisingly, is even worse, I think, than my Dalmatian was. I didn't expect that out of a working hound. And his fur was very, very thin. I mean, he was covered, but it was always just that thin layer of cover and he didn't get thicker in the winter and shed in the summer like a lot of regular dogs do. Yeah. And you look at Labradors, I mean Labradors are designed to be retrievers. They they go out to retrieve ducks and they'll break through the ice. That's what they were built to do. But just because they're a Labrador doesn't mean they all can do that. You have to have a special undercoat that keeps the water off their skin, that extra fat layer to help protect them from the cold. And even those guys, even your duck hunters, they realize that when they come out of that cold water, they need to dry them off. They try to get them back warm again. Just because they're a dog doesn't mean they can tolerate it. Drinking water from the tap is an exercise in trust that most of us take for granted. But in Martin County, Kentucky, prolonged problems with the water system have many residents worried that their health is at risk. Benny Becker has the story of how a community in coal country lost faith in both their water and their government. I went to a supermarket in Martin County and asked the checkout clerk how many customers buy bottled water. I'd say 75%, if not more. Martin County resident Josie DeLong says she does all she can to avoid drinking from the tap. We drink nothing but bottled water. There are a lot of problems with Martin County's drinking water. The water intake pulls from a river that's heavily contaminated by sewage and by years of coal and gas extraction. The treatment plant needs serious upgrades, and the distribution pipes are so leaky that they consistently lose more water than they deliver. When there's especially high demand, the system just can't keep up. Here's Joe Hammond speaking on behalf of the Water District. At night, they would shut it down so they could keep the tanks full for schools. Without water pressure in the pipes, leaks become openings. Any kind of filth near a pipe can seep inside. When the system turns back on, the water can be brown or black and a cause for health concerns. I had really, really bad bleeding ulcers to the point where I was actually blacking out. So I go to my doctor. The first thing he tells me is contaminated water. How's your drinking water? These water issues aren't just happening in Martin County. 
Many coalfield communities produced millions of dollars in coal and gas, but little was invested into critical infrastructure, leaving them without reliable drinking water. There are fewer and fewer jobs as the coal industry lays off workers, so there's little money to spare, and that's been the situation for decades. The President and Mrs. Johnson board helicopters for a trip to the roots of Appalachian poverty in Martin County, Kentucky. This government film described President Lyndon Johnson's 1964 visit to Martin County to launch the War on Poverty. Joblessness in the Inez area is attributable primarily to a general lack of industrialization and losses in the coal mining industry. I mean, here's the thing about it. 1964, LBJ kicked off the war on poverty. Here we are over 50 years later, and we can't even get decent drinking water. That's Gary Ball, the editor of the local weekly newspaper, The Mountain Citizen. Ball has been reporting on the water system's struggles for years. At a recent public meeting about the county's drinking water, he was among many people upset that they hadn't been told when their water was cut off. Joe Hammond had to deal with an angry crowd. The areas that are affected, you should get a phone call. Marcy, the uh, office manager. I'll cut you off right there. Not nobody around town got the first call about a board water advisory. I'm done with it. It was a lie. The Martin County Water District is under state investigation for the third time since 2002. Hammond says the district doesn't have enough money for major improvements. The best they can do is try to patch more leaks. We just don't have the money to replace it with right now. Across the coal fields, money is tight at every level. Martin County's revenue from coal taxes has dropped to less than a quarter of what it was just three years ago. That makes it really hard to free up money for water system improvements. But Gary Ball, the newspaper editor, he says that the county's leadership should have been better prepared and made better decisions. They found money to build a $10 million courthouse they couldn't find any money to fix our water with. The way Ball describes it, this wasn't exactly surprising to the people of Martin County. People are just distrustful of their political leaders, and the leaders haven't given them a whole lot to win that trust. In 2016, the Martin County Water District reported 10 water quality violations and 19 boil water advisories. There's still a lot that needs to be done for the people of Martin County to regain trust in their leaders and in their water. For the Ohio Valley Resource, I'm Benny Becker in Martin County, Kentucky. The Ohio Valley Resource is made possible with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and WMMT. You're listening to Mountain Talk Monday, and I'm Kelly Haywood, your host, and I'm here with Dr. Dustin Anderson, who is the veterinarian at the Animal Wellness Center located in downtown Pikeville, Kentucky. And we're talking about caring for your pets in the wintertime. So it's coming up on February, and we are still waiting for the big snow. And who knows if we'll get it this year. I'm guessing it'll be like the end of March and April. And we'll July think, the 4th. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll think winter's <laughs> over, and then we'll get like three foot of snow or something. But um, let's think about what we're experiencing right now, because it's it's been an odd time. One day, it'll be 60 degrees like it was yesterday, and then I think today the high is 40 and it's raining. So when you've got an outdoor pet and you've got 20 degree ups and downs in temperature and you've got freezing overnight, then 60 degrees in the day, what considerations do you need to make for that? You need a lot of options for them. If you have outdoor pets, you don't want to restrict them to just one bed. 
obviously if you've got a heating pad in that one bed and it's 65 degrees that night they're not going to want to sleep on that they need multiple options they will pick which one they want the best if, if you have a, a house that has a heating pad and you have a house without a heating pad they've got the option to choose that some outdoor dogs you hear them people say well they like to sleep under the porch give them that option if, they, if it's too cold under there they've got a heating pad they can go to cats are the same way cats may want if you put a bed outside for your cats they may sleep in it they may not I know my own cat right now he has a heating pad and there's nights you can go out there and he's curled up on it and other nights he's laying on the front porch he's got the option to choose what he wants don't restrict it to just one thing for them they know what they need better than we do okay and we've equated a lot of the ways that animals experience the cold to the way human beings experience cold and i have tendonitis and bursitis and i know when it's about to rain or when it's about to get really cold i feel like it hurts worse or i notice it more if you have a dog with the same thing or they have arthritis are they going to be more uncomfortable in cold weather absolutely absolutely the older dogs you definitely want to keep an eye on those guys they may be a lot more sore the cold weather will cause their arthritis worse and other things to keep in mind too i mean if you have a dog with any sickness diabetes for example humans will tell you they have a lot harder time regulating their body temperature if they're diabetics it's not controlled well any hormonal issues like cushing's disease can cause body temperature regulation problems if they have kidney disease or liver disease they may not be able to metabolize like a normal dog will so yes variations in weather makes it harder on any type of disease because your body can't function to its 100 percent ability but anytime they have sickness you need to keep a close eye on those guys because they may not realize they're getting sick low thyroid that's very common in dogs they can't metabolize, they can't speed up fat metabolism for the heat generation, so keep an eye on them even more. If they've not been to their veterinarian to have their checkup to find out how they're doing, definitely consider getting that done too before this cold temperature comes. Well, that's really interesting because I have Hashimoto's, which is hypothyroid, which is low thyroid, and I have problems in both the heat and the cold with regulating my body temperature, and I know how uncomfortable I can get, and I had no idea that it works the same way in dogs. That is an eye-opener and hard to think about them suffering out there with those types of things. Let's focus a minute on cats because I'm a cat person. Um, Me too. I, <laughs> I love cats, and I do have a dog, but I have four cats. They're all indoors, so I don't worry about them so much freezing and things like that. But I think of cats that I might see outside because I've been hearing cats a lot more. I think they're coming closer to the houses because the weather may be defined shelter. Cats tend to not show illness as well as dogs do like i can't tell when my cats are feeling bad what should we look out for with our cats that's exactly right i mean cats are very good at hiding disease typically most veterinarians believe that a cat has been sick for months before they ever show outward signs that they're sick one of the first things that they will do especially indoor cats is abnormal litter box behavior if they're sick. 
If you have a cat that's been using its litter box and all of a sudden it decides to pee or defecate outside of that box, something's wrong with that cat. Don't assume they're being spiteful. Don't think, oh, well, I brought some new pet home or they're just mad at me for not being able to go outside. If they're not using their litter box, there is something wrong with that cat. Cats outdoors, yeah, they will come closer. They're probably trying to find insulation to hide in. If they're trying to get under your house where it's warm, a lot of mobile homes have access to the insulation from underneath, so they'll try to hide in that. If you see a cat that's not eating, not drinking, it looks like it feels bad, then yeah, if you can catch that cat, it would be a good idea to get to a veterinarian. Other things to think about with cats coming closer is cars. Cats will climb up in engines, you hear that a lot, getting ran over, getting caught in fan blades. When you do go out in the morning, if you have outdoor cats, uh, make a lot of noise. Beat on the hood, honk the horn before you crank it. Just do anything to make sure there's, look underneath it. Just look underneath and make sure one's not laying there. Other thing a lot of people want to do too is they talk about, well, it's cold outside. I can leave my dog in the car while I run into a store. That's not true either. You don't need to do that just because it's cold. I'm sure you've got into the car and it felt 10 times colder in that car than it was outside. They turn into like little refrigerators. So don't just assume that they'll be okay inside of that car. If you are going to take your pet with you, you need to make sure it has the option to get out of that car with you and not just leave it in there for hours. Let's talk about our indoor pets who may need baths and things like that in the colder weather. I know when I give my girls a bath in the wintertime, I have to turn the heat on in the bathroom and let them stand <laughs> under it because <laughs> otherwise they're crying. Is it the same way for dogs and should we try to dry their hair with a blow dryer or should we just let them air dry as we usually do? Again, it depends on the dog. I do recommend that if you bathe your dog a lot that you try your best to cut back on the bathing through the wintertime. It will dry out their skin and going inside and out, you know, it's warm inside, it's cold outside. That back and forth a lot for these indoor outdoor dogs will cause dry itchy skin. If you are bathing your pet frequently, I'm not a fan of flea and tick shampoos at all. I would tell you to spend the extra money, get you a good quality aloe, oatmeal, tea tree oil shampoo, and if you're bathing them more than once a month, you really need to consider adding in a conditioner to that also. You can buy some really good rinse out conditioners or spray on conditioners something to help put that good oil back into their skin after you bath them yes towel dry them to the best of your ability if they will tolerate a blow dryer that's a good ideal i wouldn't blow dry them and then send them right back outside you got to let them acclimate to that high temperature uh, and then kind of cool back down again and same thing with the water you don't want to get that water scalding hot because that hot water will dry their skin out. I see a lot of itchy, dry skinned dogs right now because owners are over bathing. How often should you bathe them? I tell owners bathe them if they're dirty. If, if they can go six weeks and they're not dirty, don't bathe them. You don't have to bathe them like you do humans. If some humans can go two or three days and not have a smell without bathing, which is fine, there's nothing wrong with that, but some people need bathe every day uh, and same thing with dogs. If, if they're not smelly, if they're clean, they do not need bathe. 
I've noticed that with my beagle that she can go a pretty good long time as long as she stays in the fence without a bath. Now, the moment she breaks from that fence, she finds the first dead thing that she can find yeah. and, and puts her, I call it putting her perfume on. <laughs> like, uh-oh, she's, she's back with her perfume on. But um, that's when she gets a bath. What about the, the wipes that I see, the deodorizing wipes? Can we use those instead of a bath or are they drying as well? Well, it depends on what they are. If it's just a basic cleansing wipe, like a, a baby wipe maybe, yeah, you can use those. And I would consider doing that, especially like if you live near the, the road. If you're walking up and down roadways with your pet, the salt, the stuff they treat the roads with is going to stick to their paws. So when you bring them back in, wipe their feet off. If you're using them for like their face or their ears, some of those things are medicated. It's like for yeast infections and stuff. Those can be drying to the skin also. Again, don't overdo it, but talk to your veterinarian. Find out if there's a different option you should be using. Some people like to wipe their tails off after they come back in, which is fine. Just be cautious of the chemicals that's on it. Non-scented baby wipes are fine. A wet washcloth is fine. You don't want to put anything on there that's going to potentially dry their skin out worse. We always kept, and no matter what season it was, kept a uh, just an old towel by the door to get the dirt and mud yeah. off uh, our Dalmatian's feet when he came in from outside. And that seemed to work just as fine as anything. Absolutely. Not even being wet. And even, I mean, when you think about uh, like ice melters that people will put on their own sidewalks, mm-hmm. a lot of that stuff is pet friendly. But at the same time, it's not something you want to leave on their paws. And it's not something you want them cleaning off. I mean, if you can avoid them consuming, just because it says pet friendly doesn't mean they should eat it. Do exactly that. Keep an old towel laying there. Throw it in the washer dryer once a week. But do something to try to get any of that stuff off that you can. Okay. And when... We're talking about cats, and this might be a little off topic, but since we're talking about grooming and bathing during this time, is there any time when a cat actually needs a water bath with shampoo? Again, it depends on the cat. If they have medical conditions, skin problems, you can bathe those guys. If they get something on them, if they've been outside and they come back filthy, yeah, bathe them. Again, they will clean themselves well, but if you can help prevent them from ingesting stuff, it's just better for them. Just because it looks like dirt, if they've been out dragged through the dirt and then they crawl under your car and they get grease or antifreeze on and they groom that off, that can be toxic to them. Indoor cats, no. If they're clean, if they're keeping themselves well groomed, you don't have to bathe them. They will manage their own skin. If they're long-haired cats and they get in the litter box, they can come out with litter and stuff caked. Yeah, bath those guys. Try to keep it trimmed up. But for a normal, healthy cat, I've not bathed my own personal cat. He's indoor, outdoor. I've not bathed him in six years. Mm-hmm. And he does a good job keeping himself clean. Yeah, I've never bathed any of my cats, and my oldest is eight. And I always say that she smells wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) I love the way she smells. She always smells good, um, and uh, I compliment her on it quite a bit. (laughs) Are there any uh, special veterinary considerations that we should take in the wintertime? Like, I know we do yearly checkups for our adult pets, when should we schedule those? Are they better in the wintertime or in the summer? 
Well, it depends on the age of the pet. I actually recommend if you have a geriatric pet, and that's a little uh, subjective too. It depends on the breed, the age, the size of the dog or the cat. I would tell you consider twice yearly exams. If they're normal, young, healthy dogs and cats, once a year is fine. If they have any, any type of conditions wrong with them, such as like we talked about diabetes or Cushing's thyroid, those guys need to see the doctor a lot more than a normal, young, healthy pet. As far as when to schedule it, it's up to the owner and it kind of based on the age of the pet. If they were born in January, you may be taking them in the middle of summer to have their annual vaccines. All pets need to see a veterinarian at least once a year. At least, I don't care how old they are, uh, if they're healthy or not, they need to see a veterinarian at least once a year. But if you want to do it before code spells, having a veterinarian examine them, looking for stuff that you may not realize. Arthritis, bad teeth. If they have bad teeth and they're outdoor dogs, that may make them a little more reluctant to eat for you. And you want to make sure they're eating to help keep that body temperature up. So, again, talk to your veterinarian. If they're young and healthy, at least once a year. Older dogs or cats, twice a year. If they have anything else wrong with them, then you may be looking at two to three month appointments. I want to take this moment just to encourage people to take their cats to the vet. I know it's a, a rumor that cats really don't need to see a vet and especially if your cat is outdoors. I had a stray come to me and she ended up dying of feline leukemia and I know that is a big one and I didn't realize how terrible it was until I had to nurse her through that situation and from that moment on every cat that comes my way goes to the vet first yes. thing so that's a huge myth cats do get sick cats cover up sickness better than dogs do all cats need to see a veterinarian and you're exactly right anytime you find a new kitten or you want to adopt a cat it should be tested for leukemia or aids those are two big diseases we see and you cannot tell a cat does not have leukemia or AIDS just by looking at it just like a human you cannot look at a human and say that human has leukemia or that human has AIDS you have to do testing to determine that same thing all cats need to see a veterinarian indoor or outdoor at least once every year okay let's talk about flea prevention because I know it seems some of the medicines aren't working as well as they used to some of the brands i've heard that fleas are becoming resistant to them and that we should use flea protection year round now to me that just seems like overkill if if the fleas aren't out in the winter you know i tend to not put it on for that very reason we hear about disease resistant bacteria and I'm thinking of flea-resistant <laughs> fleas, <laughs> flea-medicine-resistant fleas. Is that true, and, and when should we use it? So you definitely need to use a good product, okay? I do not recommend any of the over-the-counter sergeants or hearts. I have seen a lot of cats come in and full-blown seizures from sergeants and hearts. Two cats came in together about one month ago because the owner had put she wasn't sure of the name of it but it was one of the off brands don't use any of that stuff again I'm not a fan of flea and tick shampoos either uh, because of that you can kill a cat with a flea and tick shampoo if they're sensitive to it as far as the products 
you definitely need to consider using a name brand product. One that you'll hear a lot of people saying yes, that's becoming resistance to is Frontline. Frontline is a wonderful product. The problem with resistance, most of the time, people's not using it like they're supposed to. You have to put Frontline on every 30 days. They have to have a normal, healthy hair coat. You have to treat every pet in the environment. If you have one indoor pet and you're putting Frontline on it and it's going outside and coming back with fleas, there are no products labeled to repel fleas. They all have to come in contact with a pet. They have to bite the pet for that product to kill. Some of them are labeled as they will prevent them from biting. I've not seen any good research that supports that. That's a label claim. But Frontline, if you buy Frontline from a veterinarian, you buy it for every pet in the environment for three months. If you're still seeing fleas, the maker of Frontline, which is Muriel, they will pay exterminator to come out to your house. That's a good guarantee. That's a wonderful guarantee. So again, you have to make sure you're using it appropriately. That goes back to the 12 months out of the year flea prevention. People think fleas don't survive the winter. If they didn't survive the winter, we wouldn't have them next year. They're there. They're still active. They're still biting. They're still laying eggs. They're in the environment. You may not see as many because their development slows down through the winter time, but they are still there. That goes back to the 12 months. Yes, I recommend it every, every month, every 30 days, all pets in the environment. You can treat one pet. If you treat one that's indoors and the one that's not outdoors, well, the fleas are on the one that's outdoors. They're developing, they're laying eggs. One female flea can lay 40 eggs per day. It takes three months for those eggs to develop. So once you start seeing fleas, for example, if you see five fleas on your pet, there's 95 more in the environment. Once you start seeing fleas, you're three months behind because it's going to take you three months to get all those eggs hatched and for those to bite that pet with flea prevention to kill it. You can do other things too, like treating your yard. There's a lot of good products that you can treat to help keep flea populations down but again all of them need to be on a flea prevention they're there you may just may not see them cats if you think about cats in the house you may never see a flea on a cat one of the first thing a cat's going to do when it feels that flea crawling on it's turn around and groom it off if you see fleas on a cat you have a severe infestation because it's over there there's too many on the pet for the cat to groom it off so Yes, 12 months out of the year, they need to be on a good quality flea prevention. You get what you pay for when it comes to flea prevention. You really do. I've been using Revolution myself on my it's cats. It's a wonderful product. Wonderful. Yeah, and it's worked really well, and I don't use it during the winter, but I might start doing that <laughs> <laughs> because it's, it's something I'm really paranoid about. One of the things that I've noticed, depending on where you go, is that for my dog, I've been told some places to do a topical and then other places to do an oral mm -hmm. preventative what do you recommend depends on the pet depends on the owner too trifexus is a wonderful product i really like trifexus the only downside to trifexus is it does not it is not labeled for ticks 
So if you have a long-haired outdoor dog, Trifexis isn't going to be a good option. If it's a short-haired indoor dog, Trifexis is great. It goes back to the pet and the owner. You do not need to use any topical product if there is anything wrong with their skin. Okay, Trifexis, I'm not a fan of Trifexis for pets that are potentially prone to seizures like pugs, beagles are prone to seizures. And it's not to say Trifexis will cause a seizure, but you can lower the seizure threshold with Trifexis and you're more likely to see them. If they have a normal hair coat, there's some good products. Advantage Multi is a wonderful product. It covers heartworm and flea for 30 days. Depends on what the owner wants. If the owner thinks, yeah, I can get them to take their pill, Trifex is a good product. If they think, well, I, my pet doesn't like to take pills very well, Frontline is a good product too. It doesn't do heartworm, but it works It works really well, Kelly. So again, it depends on what the owner wants. There's a lot of different options because there's no perfect one. We do not have one product on the market that covers all parasites. It depends on what kind of parasites you want to try to prevent and your ability to put it on or give it to your pet. One of the reasons that I had chosen a, an oral one for my dog was my children, knowing that there was a time when they couldn't touch her, trying to keep them from touching her, yes. um, made me a little nervous. So there was that factor. Yes, and a lot of people's concerned with that, and I, I completely understand that. You don't want to put revolution on your cat and then your child end up getting it in their mouth. The majority of the veterinary approved products are safe. I get them all over me every day. You know, Frontline, one of its big claims, is it is not absorbed into the bloodstream. So people think, well, I don't want to put toxins on my pet. Frontline's not absorbed into their blood. It stays on their hair coat. Revolution, that's one of the safest products on the market. Revolution goes on topical. It's a liquid. goes on the top of the skin. They actually experimented with it and gave 10 times the recommended dose. I think it was 10, maybe 8, 8, 10 times that by mouth to cats and the worst side effect was a little upset stomach. So it's a very safe product. But again, it goes back to the good products. You get what you pay for. I would not want to get hearts or sergeants on my skin just because of what I've seen it do to cats. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievable. But yeah, if you have small children and you're concerned with getting it on, uh, them getting the flea products on their skin, oral's a good choice and they're safe. They're really safe products. Right. So we're coming up on the end of the show, and I would like to give you the opportunity to tell our listeners what kind of services you offer at your clinic and how they can reach you. We're a full-service veterinary clinic. We do spays, neuters, laboratory, blood work, vaccines, just full service. Anything you need for your pet. We see dogs, cats, exotics like your ferrets, guinea pigs, and birds. We're located in downtown Pikeville on Hambly Boulevard. You can reach us at 606-262-4553 by phone. We have a website, and we're also on Facebook. It's Animal Wellness Center, KY for the state of Kentucky.com. I like to ask this because I know some of us, we want to keep pets. We may not have a lot of money for vet care. Are there ways to get vet care on a budget? Absolutely. A couple of big things. One of them is pet health insurance. That really helps you budget. You can get a decent plan for pets, 
$30, $40 a month to help with emergencies. Another good option I recommend, even for, for people, is called Care Credit. Care Credit is like a credit card, but in the event that you need a lot of money up front, Care Credit helps you pay for it, and then you get interest-free. You can pay it back over time. It allows you to budget in. You know, I can expend this much every month to help pay that bill down. But health insurance, I recommend that for all my new patients, puppies and kittens. You know, veterinary medicine is getting very expensive. It really is. If you need to see a specialist, we have veterinary surgeons, veterinary orthopedic surgeons, just like humans do. And you can spend $2,500 to $5,000 real quick with those guys. So plan for it now. Don't assume they're all going to be healthy and happy their entire life. Look in the health insurance. It's well worth the money. Yeah, I'll say my Dalmatian, he lived 13 years. I paid $99 for him, and he was a $20,000 dog by the end of it. (laughs) And that was probably just in vet bills more than that with having to buy special food because he had skin allergies. Yes, and that's uh, an expensive disease, and it's very common. We see it a lot. I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of Mountain Talk Monday. And again, I've been with Dustin Anderson. Thank you for... Thank you coming out and we want to thank you for listening all the information that you have heard in this broadcast will be online as well as links to dr dustin anderson and the animal wellness center thanks for listening Talk strives to provide an opportunity for everyone in our diverse audience to speak out about issues of importance to us all. We welcome your calls and suggestions for upcoming shows. To discuss a topic for a future Mountain Talk or to be a guest host yourself, please contact WMMT. Phone 606-633-0108 or you can write us at 91 Madison Avenue, Whitesburg, Kentucky, 41858, or email us at wmmtfm at appleshop.org. And appleshop is spelled A-P-P-A-L-S-H-O-P. Thank you.